from D. James Kennedy Ministries. This is Kennedy Classics. Hello, I'm Frank Wright, president of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. Welcome to Kennedy Classics. If you have a friend or family member to whom you'd like to recommend these powerful messages, tell them they can watch online at djkm.org, where we also have more resources, important articles, and strong content to build faith and answer questions. We live in a time where people find joy in discrediting virtuous and esteemed individuals from both the past and the present. The fall from grace that many celebrities in Hollywood recently experienced was shocking and disturbing, and in many cases, just. But what happens when someone is wrongfully accused and intentionally defamed even when they've done nothing wrong? Historians today have smeared some of our most beloved founding fathers, such as George Washington. Contrary to what these so-called historians might say, it was well known for the first 150 years of our country that George Washington was a man of great faith and strong character. The historical record shows that George Washington was a leader of unquestioned Christian integrity and humility. It was that humility, recognizing his own fallibility and the truth of the Bible, that caused him to want to put limits on the powers of government leaders. Washington, like all of the founding fathers, was concerned about government abuse of power, and turned away a number of efforts to make the office of president more like that of a king. Dr. Kennedy looks at the real facts of history and not the politically correct version in his classic message, George Washington, the Christian. And now, if you would, would you turn to the first epistle of John. First John, chapter 1, verse 1. And may we hear the inspired word of our great God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This, then, is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him 
is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And may God speak to us this day through his holy word, and may his name ever be praised. Amen. When we consider the founder of this country, our first president, George Washington, whose character was considered by those that lived in his day to be the wonder of the age. The Duke of Wellington said that his was the finest character of our age, perhaps of any age. And yet, those in Washington today have tried to indicate that he also was engaged in some kind of illicit affair. Well, dear friends, this has been repeated over and over again. It is now in so many of the textbooks being used in our country that I wanted to call your attention to what it's based on. And what it's based on is nothing at all. It comes from a letter that Washington wrote a year and a half before he died. It was a letter to Sally Fairfax, who married William Fairfax, who lived right next door to the Washingtons. And uh, Washington practically grew up with William, the son, and uh, his father almost adopted George Washington into his home. William married Sally. And Sally and William Fairfax were the closest friends that George and Martha Washington had. And uh, they went everywhere together. Now Sally has moved to England. He hasn't seen her in 25 years. But he writes her a letter. And in that letter he says, None of the events which have taken place in recent years, however, nor all of them together, have been able to eradicate from my mind the recollection of those happy moments, the happiest of my life, which I have enjoyed in your company. Aha, say the spin doctors. You see, George Washington apparently had an affair. But if you look at the entire letter and you look at the entire situation, you see that nothing could be farther from the truth. As I said, he grew up right next to this man, and he wrote to William the same kind of letter just the previous year, in which he told him of how much he had enjoyed his time in his presence in the years gone by. And he comes toward the end of this letter to Sally, and he says, It is a matter of some regret when I cast my eyes toward Belvoir, which was the name of the estate right next to theirs, which has now burned to the ground, which I often do, and to reflect that the former inhabitants of it, with whom we lived in such harmony and friendship, no longer reside there, 
and that the ruins can only be viewed as the memento of former pleasures. Now, dear friends, note well, he says, of the former inhabitants, plural, namely William and his wife Sally, with whom we, namely George and Martha, lived in such harmony and friendship for so long. He goes on to say that Martha will be writing her shortly, telling her about things in the entire neighborhood, and so he won't bore her with any more about that. And so it's very clear that he's simply discussing with these old friends, first with William and now in a letter to Sally, and he tells that Martha will also be writing to her, the inhabitants, we. It is plural, and it strikes me, as the Bible says, to the pure, all things are pure. To the unclean, all things are unclean. And to those who can't even imagine a decent person living a faithful life to his wife, no doubt they find even something as simple as this letter, the reason for dragging in the mud the name of a man who was exemplary as the founder of our nation. Whatever happened to George Washington? How many of you have read a positive article about George Washington in the newspaper recently. Let's take a look, however, and see how true these things are. Was Washington a man of virtue and morality? Or was he, as the debunkers say, who seek only to say that virtue is a mask that covers hypocrisy because they know that they are hypocrites and have no real virtue and they cannot stand the fact that it actually might exist in somebody else. And so there are things that we hear, that he was not a virtuous man, that he never said, I cannot tell a lie, I cut down the cherry tree. Now it's interesting, he probably didn't say that. That's one of the myths that have grown up around him. But the interesting thing is that the character of George Washington was such that it supported the myth. And the myth could be believed because George Washington was the kind of man who probably would have done that as a boy. Isn't it interesting? that those that knew him best saw his greatness, but those who never knew him at all can only see his weakness. Abigail Adams, who spoke her mind very clearly about most everything, said this, he was possessed of power, possessed of an extensive influence. And there is no doubt of that. Washington had more power and more influence than anybody in America and his day. But, she says, he never used it but for the benefit of his country. If we look through the whole tenor of his life, history will not produce a parallel. 
Thomas Jefferson knew him well. And uh, Jefferson said of him that he was a man of phenomenal character and qualities, that his integrity was the most pure, his justice the most inflexible I have ever known, and that no motives of friendship or hatred were able to bias his decisions. He was indeed, in every sense of the word, a wise, a good, and a great man. But the ignoramuses 200 years later that never knew him at all, of course, knew him far better than Thomas Jefferson, who labored for years with him to bring this nation into existence. It may be truly said, said Jefferson, that never did nature and fortune combine more perfectly to make a man great and to place him in the same constellation with whatever worthies have merited from man an everlasting remembrance. Was he a man of virtue? Jeremiah Smith knew him well. He said, he had all the genuine mildness of Christianity with all of its force. He was neither ostentatious nor ashamed of his Christian profession. He pursued in this, as in everything else, the happy mean between the extremes of levity and gloominess, indifference and austerity. His religion became him. He brought it with him into office, and he did not lose it there. Mason L. Weems says, quote, the noblest, the most efficient element in his character was that he was an humble, earnest Christian. Cyrus Edmund says the elements of his greatness are chiefly to be discovered in the moral features of his character. John Marshall, the famed Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, said, without making ostentatious professions of religion, he was a sincere believer in the Christian faith and a truly devout man. Did you read that in the papers this week? I sincerely doubt it indeed. No, he was a man who sought to add to his faith virtue. He was reared in a godly Episcopal home. He was taught the scriptures and many other things about the Christian faith by his godly father who was a vestryman in the Anglican Church until his father died at the age of 11, Washington's age. His mother took over the teaching of her son but required him at age 11 from that time forward at the death of his father to conduct daily worship in their family in the place of his father. Interestingly, when General Braddock died in the war with uh, the French and the Indians, his men, because the Indians were pursuing him, them wanted them to leave the body and run. Washington refused and demanded that he be buried. Not only that, he said that they should bury him right in the middle of the road. Many people breathe gassed. They were horrified at such a thing in the middle of the road. How undignified. 
but they later discovered the wisdom of that when as the men and the wagons and the cannons were dragged over the grave after it was sealed, the evidence of a grave was hidden from the Indians who no doubt would have dug up the body, stolen the uniform, and desecrated the corpse. But who was to conduct the Christian funeral service? Colonel George Washington pulled from his pocket a small book of the Anglican Book of Worship and Prayers and led the funeral service. How many of us would be willing at the drop of a hat or a general to lead the service? Further, we're told that he wasn't even religious. We're told that he wasn't even a church member, well, or that he attended church. Well, the fact of the matter is you find in his diary repeated references to the fact in his diary, Sunday attended church, morning and night. Sunday attended church. Uh, Sunday night, uh, weather inclement, not able to attend. Now that probably meant there were two to three feet of snow on the ground, which, and he had to ride anywhere from 10 to 40 miles on horseback to attend church at various times in his life. Was he really a Christian? What did he truly believe in his heart? Well, let me tell you, one of the most amazing insights into the heart of the father of our country. On April 21st to 23rd, 1891, over 100 years ago, there was sold at auction in Philadelphia a remarkable collection of the personal possessions of George Washington, which had been in the hands of his family heirs for generations. Among them, there was found a little manuscript book, the most precious gem there, which contained 24 pages filled with handwritten, carefully scribed prayers in Washington's own hand. And this has been checked by handwriting experts. And uh, they are filled with beautiful, fervent, and evangelical language, the language of his, of his faith and his religious beliefs. Listen to these. We read today in the scripture about one who confesses his sins and is cleansed by the blood of Christ. O oh, most glorious God, in Jesus Christ, my merciful and loving Father, I acknowledge and confess my guilt. Ah. Note well, Hollywood. You remember they created a mistress for him in the miniseries. And I talked to one of our great historians who, who specialize in this area who told me that they made that up out of whole cloth. There's not a shred of evidence of truthfulness in it. Well, here's one they missed. Here, Washington is acknowledging his guilt. Take heed, Hollywood. You can make a new miniseries and present him as he really was with all of his faults. I confess my guilt in the weak and imperfect performance of the duties of this day. I have called on thee for pardon and forgiveness of sins, but so coldly and carelessly that my prayers are become my sin. Did you get that, Hollywood? 
His prayers are his sin. I wonder how many people here have ever confessed the sinfulness of their prayers. Maybe you've confessed the sinfulness of the fact that you don't pray. But how many of you, the sinfulness of the coldness of your prayers? And they stand in need of pardon. His sin was a lack of what he perceived to be fervency in his own prayers. Or note this one. I humbly beseech thee to be merciful to me in the free pardon of my sins for the sake of thy dear Son and only Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to call not the righteous but sinners unto repentance. Thou gavest thy Son to die for me. And there are many, 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 many more. They are as evangelical prayers as are heard from the pulpit of almost any evangelical church in the world today. No, my friends, these are not the prayers of a deist. They are the prayers of a Christian. How desperately we need heroes in our nation today. May we pray. Father, may we be ashamed as we look at our own lives in the light of the life of the Father of this country. We thank Thee, O God, that Thou hast given to us and created for us such a man with such a faith, both in thy divine providence and thy beloved Son, in whose blood and merit he trusted for all things. O oh God, help us to be more like him as he followed thee. Bless our nation and call it back to godliness and faith and virtue. For Jesus' sake, amen. Do you, like George Washington, believe that Jesus Christ is your only Savior, who came not to call the righteous, but sinners unto repentance? Have you placed your trust for this life and the next in Jesus Christ alone? If not, the Bible tells us that today, is the day of salvation, and it can be the start of your new life following Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you'd like to know for certain that you'll be with God in heaven someday, we can go to God together in prayer right now saying, Lord Jesus Christ, I want to know you as my Savior. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. Today, I place my trust in you, and I receive the gift of eternal life that you paid for with your death on the cross. Please cleanse me and make me brand new so that I may live a life that honors you. In your name I pray, amen. 
If you just prayed that prayer, we have a special gift to help you grow in your new faith. It's Beginning Again, the book written by Dr. Kennedy for new believers. In these pages, you'll learn how to study the Bible, how to pray, and so much more. We don't want you to miss out on this special gift, so please request Beginning Again by writing to the address on your screen or calling our toll-free number. God bless you as you do. George Washington, despite what you might hear today, was a great man of God. Countless times you will see the media and certain organizations slandering Christians, making them out to be something they are not. Too often today, Christians are being labeled haters for simply believing the teachings of the Bible. We have a great new resource that we would like you to have, which helps you answer this false allegation. It's the book, Confronting Lies and Hate, Responding with Truth and Grace, by veteran Christian journalist Robert Knight. The idea that Christians are motivated by hate is a false and slanderous charge made by those on the left trying to silence believers, and we must refute it. This powerful book shows you what's behind this slander and provides biblical responses to those charges. It's an ideal tool for those navigating these perilous times, and it will also make a great gift for a child or grandchild in college, where these sorts of attacks are at their very worst. We'll send you Confronting Lies and Hate, Responding with Truth and Grace by Robert Knight as our thanks for your generous donation to the ongoing work of this ministry. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free 888-332-3069. Or go online to djkm.org. As you donate, you will also be helping us move forward in our federal lawsuit against the Southern Poverty Law Center. We are standing up to the SPLC in a way that nobody ever has before. And our suit is moving forward, currently in the expensive discovery phase. But the information we have already uncovered is startling, and it's just the beginning. We need you to stand alongside us as we take this enormously wealthy organization to task for the sake of all Bible-believing Christians in America. We simply cannot do this without you. If you're able to give a generous donation of $50 or more, we will send you the book, Confronting Lies and Hate, Responding with Truth and Grace, as well as the DVD, Prophets of Hate, the Southern Poverty Law Center, newly updated and expanded. This special program exposes the true agenda of the SPLC and how they make enormous financial profits by stoking fear and lodging false accusation. That's the brand new book, Confronting Lies and Hate, Responding with Truth and Grace, as well as the updated and expanded DVD, Profits of Hate, the Southern Poverty Law Center, as our thanks for your generous donation of $50 or more to the ongoing work of this ministry. 
simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free 888-332-3069. Or go online to djkm.org. I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Kennedy Classics. We'll see you next time. Today's program is available on DVD or audio CD for your gift to this ministry of any amount. Please call, write, or log on to our website today. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.